We've been going through a series entitled Rest, and today we have a tremendously um, special privilege of hearing from Melissa. So would you please welcome Melissa to come and have a seat up here? When I was uh, preparing for this series, one of the subjects that I wanted to talk on, and I've talked on before, is the issue of pain and suffering and faith, and how do you deal with that, and where do you find rest in the midst of all of that? Um, I asked Melissa a couple weeks ago if she'd be willing to share, and graciously she has said yes. Are you still glad you said yes? <laughs> now, My heart's pounding pretty hard. Now that I you're up here, so. <laughs> you're in front of friends yes. who love you and care about you deeply. And we got together last week for lunch, and um, I got to tell you, I wish I'd had a recorder for our conversation just at lunch, for the things that she had shared, for the journey that she and her family have been on. And so what we're going to attempt to do is replicate that conversation. And uh, that's part of perhaps what makes Melissa a little nervous, like, I don't remember what I said, and that's okay. We wrote it down, (laughs) so so we'll do our best here. So um, first of all, I just want to say thank you. Um, I've said this to you privately, but I'm going to say this to you publicly now. Thank you so much. This is, um, I I feel very honored to be able to have this conversation with you, and I feel very grateful that you said yes to this. Uh, The first question is simply this. Tell us a little bit about the journey. First of all, for those of you who don't know, uh, Melissa's brother passed away of cancer just very recently, actually, mm-hmm. and it's been a very harrowing journey. So I, I would like for you, many of the people in this room already know about that, but there's many in this room that don't know the journey and don't know the story. I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about, you know, the, the beginnings and then some of the journey that you've been on over the last, you know, two, two and a half years. Sure. So I want to say hi to everyone again. My name is Melissa, and um just want to say before I even start to begin to talk, thank you for like just being here. I was telling Dan, I'm like, well, I think there might be six people, and I'm okay with that. And if there are none, I'm even more okay with that. But I am so surprised that there's so many people here. So this is truly awesome. And I just want to acknowledge that I'm sure that many of you may have also experienced loss in your life. And I am just one voice out of the many. I don't claim to be an expert at this at all. Um, I wish that I could come and say for like 100% certainty, I like know everything that I'm talking about, but I actually really don't. These are just musings and rustlings that I have, and I just want to encourage you to be with me in this process as you know you reflect on some of your own things in your own life that you've gone through as well. So I just wanted to preface with that. So again, um, I'm Melissa, and I had one brother. He was four years younger than me, and his name was Bryant. He was born on, oh, I guess that's, us um (laughs) when he was born he was born on april 18th 1987 and he was my christmas gift like he really was i my mom asked me what i wanted for christmas one year do i want a cabbage patch doll or teddy ruxpin those were all the rage in those days and i said i really want a sibling and i was so persistent that i got my wish and so this my brother um was my uh christmas gift so very, very, very thankful for him. And just a few things about Bryant before I even share about our story, because for him, I know he would want me to say, well, don't just tell him about the cancer part. You need to tell them who I am, because cancer is a part of my story, but cancer doesn't completely define me. So um, I want to say that my brother really, really loved life. It's really exciting for me to see the people in this room, because I can pick out different people that are like his best friends, his basketball crew, people that saw him when he was really little, diaperhood buddies, like, this is really cool for me to see, it's like parts of him here, and so he loved basketball, the basketball crew can wave if they want, 
they're back there. Not to put you guys on the spot, but these are the people that my brother loved and played basketball with, and that was something he loved. Loved watching movies, loved Pixar, loved people, loved hanging out with people, was really, really good at hospitality, and he really loved good food. Love, love, love good food. Had a beautiful smile, and here are some pictures of us as we are uh, growing up. That's us in our, um, I guess, homemade boats. <laughs> out of, and then this is uh, right before we found out he had cancer, actually. This was right in front of ALCF during Easter time, a couple months before we found out. Um, and then this is our last trip that we took together, just the two of us. This was in San Diego. He went to UCSD, and it was on the beach. I convinced him to take me to Coronado Beach. So our cancer journey, as it is, in about spring or summertime, depending on how you count, May, June, July of 2012, my brother started experiencing back pain. And we thought, oh, well, he plays basketball. It's probably just some injury, whatever. But it got worse and worse and worse. My parents took him to see, like, a Chinese doctor, family doctor, PT, and everyone said, oh, you're so young. You're only 25. It has to be a back sprain, or you must have pulled a muscle. But it got to the point where my brother had trouble walking. And for me to see my 25-year-old brother who can shoot hoops and is super active, he was always the way more athletic one in the family than me, have trouble walking was just so hard for me to comprehend. And on July 25th of that year, on my dad's birthday, out of all things, we found out that my brother had advanced testicular cancer, which completely shocked us. And he was stage 3C. Apparently, there's no stage 4 but he had the worst of the worst of cancer. And I remember being in that room, and all of us were in shock, and then we burst out crying because we thought, like, wait, this doesn't happen to us. We don't have cancer in our family. That happens to other people. That doesn't happen to us. And from that point on, my brother had so many treatments. Um, he got treated at El Camino Hospital. They have an amazing cancer center there with Dr. Dormady and all the nurses. And he even went to Indiana, got treated by Dr. Lawrence Einhorn, who treated um, Lance Armstrong. And he went to UT, um, blanking right now. Uh, Dan, do you remember? Okay, MD Anderson in Texas to go be at one of their cancer centers. And it's been a, such a long journey. And after over two plus years of fighting this horrid, horrid disease, which I actually think cancer is just like evil and it, it's just like you can see evil's face in the form of cancer. My brother two months ago passed away on August 19th at 5.45 a.m. in the morning. And we were all around and I actually watched him take his last breath. And so that's kind of been our journey of ups and downs very briefly with cancer. Yeah, there's obviously a ton more to this story, but that's a little bit of the snippet. Yeah. Today we're going to talk a little bit about the faith journey in, in the yep. midst of that. Today, you actually, you didn't know this, but you're actually going to get two testimonies because what's so beautiful is not only is Mel going to share, but we've clipped together some of the memorial video from Bryant and some of the snippets of his journey. So we're going to let Bryant actually share with you a little bit through this video. So check this out. I know you've shed many tears, so I'm <laughs> sorry we okay. did that again. I wanted to share with you some of the things from Bryant that I just thought were so beautiful and helps us get a glimpse into um, the wonderful human being that he was. And some of those quotes are just really moving, really touching, and um, makes the story um, that much more poignant. Um, and we'll end on a, a nicer note. This is one of my favorite pictures, actually. <laughs> I love 
how you uh, <laughs> duplicated that. So that's a beautiful, an absolutely beautiful thing. Okay, so rather than going through all, I mean, you've, you've had your journey. That what, I, what we wanted to get together and ask the question, and I, Mel, I so appreciated you sharing that I, I don't think there's anybody in this room that hasn't been affected by some sort of disappointment, tragedy, um, and, and you know, given the statistics in the world right now, over one-third of us are going to contract some form of cancer, which means two-thirds of us, three-quarters of us are going to be um, are going to have to be hit with this with close friends, family, et cetera, et cetera. So this is, this is a reality that we're in. But for what we want to talk about today, I guess there's really um, only one question, which is how in the world did you journey through this that many of us are unfortunately far too familiar with in the aspect of faith, trust in God, following Jesus, believing that, I don't know, there's hope, purpose, and all. So that entire journey, um, you've shared with me some amazing, beautiful insights. So let's start, I guess, with the, the question, how has this experience affected your faith? What has changed? What, what has evolved? What's this journey of faith and um, uh, belief like been for you? And we started with that this experience has given you a completely new perspective on the Psalms. Um, the language in there about God being a rock and a deliverer. I, explain, share with us a little bit that journey. Sure, so um, for those of you that may or may not be familiar with the Psalms, the Psalms are a collection, I guess, of different prayers, laments, things that David and other people had to say to God. And it's funny because I think I used to approach not just the Psalms but Scripture with like um, read it till I believe it method or what I call hitting myself with Scripture. Mm. So if it said, like, God is my rock, then I would sit, have the Bible out, and read, God is my rock, God is my rock. Okay, how long do I have to sit here till I really believe that this is true? I'm not saying that's, like, a bad method, but that was kind of the way that I related to Scripture, was, like, well, I just have to ingest it somehow from here till it comes to my heart, and forever, how long duration till I believe it, then I can actually leave my Bible, and then everything's, like, magically transformed. But now I see it from a completely different level. Like when I, like if it's like, well, David's writing, like the Lord is my strength and my fortress or something like that. I'm like, wow, okay, so King Saul was trying to murder David. A lot of people hated him. Like he wasn't that prized in his family. So what in the world would make him write something so profound? Like what did he have with God that would allow him to pen such words? And so now when I approach something like that, I'm not like trying to beat my head over it to be like, okay, God's my rock, God's my rock, God's my rock. It's more of like, well, I kind of want what David had. Like what encounters did he have with God that made him be able to say very profound things and I think that's definitely how it's changed. So I look at it completely differently now. Yeah, it's, you, sometimes we look at this Bible as, uh, you know, the basic instructions before leaving earth. And so if we just do this, but there's a whole, there's whole experiences and stories behind there with Saul and David, et cetera. So, so the question is, you say that David must have had some sort of special relationship with God. How does one find that? How does one get to that particular point where he can pen those things? What's your take on that. Like, he, he had to go through his journey, and you're paralleling a little bit of your journey with yeah. his. Um, honestly, I think that's faith that is to be found. 
I think that sometimes we think, oh, wow, great people who really love God and are like super amazing Christians have it completely all together. And they just know all the answers or they're just like a walking encyclopedia of like Jesus knowledge. And I feel like every person's journey is their own. Mm. Like you could be in this room and be like, wow, I have an amazing relationship with Jesus. He meets me in my closet. And like, that's awesome. And you could also be like, who the heck is this Jesus? I have no idea who he is, and I don't even think, like, Jesus or God or any of that exists. And I think that's also relevant. Mm. Like, I think that each person has to make their journey and their search to find out what faith actually is for themselves. And that's faith to be found, the TBF. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You described to me earlier um, when we were meeting that your faith was shattered but instead of despair, you held on to this quest or a wrestling or a new search for truth. Um, describe that for us. Yeah, I think that there are several aspects to this. So um, I would say for the majority of my journey with Brian, I've been pretty, hmm, maybe angry, um, feeling like God isn't really there or wondering what I gave like my entire existence to. And I'm just feeling a really big absence of God in this relationship thing, and like, does he even really exist? And so I was talking to one of my best friends from college, Kat, and she was like, she stopped me after I was going on and on, like, well, I don't know, and she said, Mel, I think you actually have a real relationship with God, versus like, she's like, that doesn't mean that you didn't have him before when you were serving in inner varsity or singing praise songs or like leading lots of people in worship, but what she was saying was that, she's like, now you get angry. Now you can feel free free to question, and now you can say, well, I don't really want to talk to you, and I'm not going to talk to you for months. And it's more like, sometimes how do you be like with a family member? (laughs) And so I feel like with that, it's more of a genuine relationship that I actually have now than, you know, God over here, and I'm over here, and God do stuff for me, or God, you might smite me, or I have to be, like, really careful and, like, have a lot of rules. And the rules thing just didn't work very well. Make things more complicated. Okay, so you, you also mentioned... As a result of this journey, when somebody gives you a, a very simple pat, what, we, what we're calling a Jesus-y or a Christian-y answer to, oh, well, the reason why this is happening is because, and then they fill in the blank with, with um, y- you know, a, a, either a pithy or nice Christian-y statement, um, that, that, that doesn't necessarily resonate <laughs> with you in, in, anymore, or how, how do you respond to that? now when that happens? It's hard. I think um, sometimes I have like internal earmuffs. I'm just like, earmuffs? I can't really hear this right now because I don't want to get angry. I remember Bryant once, um, this was like maybe a couple weeks before he passed, he like took out his phone and he was like, hey, look at this. And like some well-meaning person sent him a Bible verse. And he was like, Melissa, when people send you Bible verses, please don't get mad. And I'm like, oh, he's already thinking before me. <laughs> like, what will happen? And he's like, people are probably giving these to you to make themselves feel better, but that doesn't always mean it's relevant to your situation, but don't get mad at them. Mm. And I thought that was a really, like, awesome thing for him to say because I realize that people are wrestling and sometimes people don't know what to say or people might think that's mm. true for them and every person's experience is so individual. But for me... I think when people just say things like, well, don't worry, everything has purpose. I'm like, well, do you really think that God would give my brother cancer so that all these amazing things could happen? I don't really think so. I think that there could be really amazing things pulled out of the evil thing that gives it meaning 
to the suffering, yeah. but I don't want to think of God as this, like, guy up on wherever he is and just, like, saying, well, I'm going to cause these things to happen so amazing things can happen and that he is, like, willfully planning the evil parts, too. Like, that just doesn't resonate with me. So I feel like this new Jesus that I'm currently discovering does not fit with those pithy phrases anymore that I probably did give to people before. So if you're one of those in the room, I'm sorry. I learn on the other side. <laughs> and I think for me, like, I am hoping that at the end of this process, I won't be bitter about it. Sometimes when I hear, like, really things, I can feel myself getting kind of angry or feel more bitter, like, oh, what's up with people? What's up with this new kind of Christianity that tries to squash things that are uncomfortable? Mm. And I hope at the end that I'm a more loving and gracious person because I can hold the tension mm. of the things that are really hard that we can't explain mm. with mm. still God, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, you paralleled this experience with what we call the passion narrative of Jesus. And for those of you who are unfamiliar, this is the segment of Jesus' life that is the trial, the death, mm. the burial, and the resurrection. And that entire experience, and um, you, you shared a little bit how this experience now with your brother has given new insight or meaning to how, how you put those two together. Yeah, um, it's funny. I feel like before I thought I knew what Christianity was like. I thought I knew who Jesus was. I thought I just knew everything, even though I didn't, but I was like a secret Bible nerd. You can ask Stacy, if you'd like. She knew who I was like. And I think Brian's cancer journey and death has like completely shattered everything, and I feel like I'm actually on the cusp of experiencing who Jesus is for the first time. So I feel like you know, maybe it was like everything before he died. And then with this, I feel like this grieving state with losing my brother and wondering why, I feel like it's Saturday. Like, if you follow the narrative, like, Good Friday, you know, Jesus is crucified, and the next day, everyone's sitting around and being like, what the heck just happened? And I feel like that's who I am. I'm like the dejected disciple who's probably sitting in some room being like, okay, this one guy was supposed to come save us from this evil oppress oppressors, the Romans. He's supposed to make all things right, bring justice, do all these things, and he died okay, great, now what do I do? And I'm like banging my head thinking, did I give my life over to following, serving, loving God for nothing? Should I go and just do what I did before? Like the disciples said, should I just go back and fish? Like what am I doing here? And I think it's funny because they, they don't know the resurrection is coming. They have no idea that what will happen on Sunday. And it's not even in their power to do anything about it. It's not like they can raise Jesus from the dead. So I feel like I'm just sitting here and being like, well, what are you going to do about this, God? Like, is there resurrection, and what does that even look like? Yeah. I, when you said that to me, I just was so, I was personally moved because I feel like we, as Christians and as people of faith, completely forget the Saturday day, and we jump immediately to Sunday, we jump immediately to the resurrection, but right now, I mean, if you think about the grand narrative in the story, all of us are kind of in Saturday, <laughs> right? I mean, and we have to face these tragedies, and it's just kind of Saturday, and we don't know, yeah, it's not necessarily within our power to know, and we're not the ones to bring it about. Now, we, you know, we look back upon the, the story of Jesus, but it certainly feels very much like Saturday. It does, and if I had to pick, like, a disciple that I would be, it's, like, really horrible, probably no one wants to pick him, but I'd probably be Doubting Thomas. And I, it's funny because I would hear this story growing up like, oh, don't be like Doubting Thomas. Have faith. Be like a courageous lion and have like super faith. 
And I remember talking to my therapist about this, and she was saying, you know, I feel like Thomas gets a really bad rap because he's the one who says, hey, like the other 11 disciples saw Jesus. I didn't, so I can't believe that he's actually alive even though he was just dead until I see him. And she said, you know, I feel like you're asking for the same thing that he was asking for. You want a genuine encounter with Jesus for yourself. Not what other people have had, but for you, Melissa, personally. And she was saying it's kind of like when Jesus asked his disciples, like, who do you say that I am? She's like, well, I feel like Jesus is asking you, who do you say that I am? And right now I'm like, I'm not really sure I'll get back to you. But it's this kind of journey. And I remember Bryant once told me, Melissa, you can still have faith and struggle with God. Mm. And I really, really love that. And I feel like that's encompassed in Doubting Thomas. Yeah, and so often in some circles, if you have any struggles or if you have any doubts, somehow that's a, you know, a marring or a, some sort of de- looking down upon the kind of faith that you have. But here, you fully embrace. The doubt, yeah. Both, both <laughs> um, okay. This, some of what you shared even now and then in the time that we had, you've described it as meeting Jesus all over again, like this brand new person. And, um, it, it actually reminds me of a book titled by Philip Yancey, The Jesus That I Never Knew. So you're in this discovery of a whole, it, it's the same Jesus, but your understanding of this Jesus has kind of shifted and changed and it's all, all brand new. Um, share with us a little bit more. I want to hear a little bit more what that means and what that looks like and the processing behind all of that for you. Awesome. Well, I feel like I'm still wrestling with like, am I encountering the real Jesus now? Because the old one that I thought of, not that Jesus changed or God changed, it's just my perspectives have changed. It's like, well, what did I believe before was actually genuine and true? Like some of the things that I told myself, like, well, if I become a Christian, then that is a sure way for me to escape all harm because God must favor Christians. Like, of course that's not true, but deep down inside, I think I internalized that, like that me you know, having Jesus or professing my faith meant that, like, I had a life fest or something, and, like, I lived in a Christian, I don't know, bubble, like, I was bubble girl, and I would walk around, and, like, bad things would just, like, bounce off of me, and it, because I had, like, super Jesus powers, and now I realize that is not very true, and no one really said that Jesus would do that, but somehow I internalize that. That's just, like, one example, and so mm-hmm. I feel like, for me now, I'm starting to answer the question, like, what is actually truth? Like, who is God really? Who is Jesus? Like, why is he so important? Why do I even follow him? And I think for Bryant, he had something really profound to say that I want to share. I only have actually one recorded audio conversation with my brother, and it was about maybe a week or two before he died when he could actually talk. When he got on more meds, his talking level was, like, really small. And he told me, he said, Melissa, I feel like I don't have to fight cancer anymore. I feel like Jesus is telling me to come home. And I remember him telling me this and being like, are you sure it's Jesus? Like, are you sure, like, do you know, like, this thing? Because even though I've been, like, raised in a Christian home and all these things, but you are dying and you are telling me that you feel like Jesus is telling you it's okay, that he wants to take you home. And he said, yeah, I don't know how, but I I actually do believe this to be true. And I believe because of that, he felt more peaceful to leave Earth because he knew he was going to be with Jesus, Mm. even though it was difficult and he Mm. didn't want to leave us. But just the fact that he said, no, I believe Jesus is talking to me, 
pretty remarkable for me. So I asked Mel a question that got her a little bit more animated, and the question that I asked was, was essentially along these lines. Oftentimes, as a pastor, for me, when I counsel people that are going through things like this, one of the main points that I make is that the biblical narrative actually doesn't promise, and we talked about this, actually doesn't promise freedom from any pain, any suffering. They, that, that's not found really in the scriptures. It's much more like David. It's like, God is my rock because I'm going through all of these things. But what the Bible does provide, or the narrative of scripture, this faith journey does provide, is a God who suffers alongside us. Um, that we have a Jesus who we believe is, is God incarnate on the cross uh, with us. But you have some reflections on this that I thought were really, I mean, they were really insightful to me. So please do share with the rest of okay. us. <laughs> Might be a little dicey for you all, but I will share. Um, so the first one, when, you know, I hear people say, or like um, PK asked me, well, people might say to you, well, having God, at least in your, like, deepest suffering, whatever you think it is, is better than not having him at all. And I really wrestled with this statement because, honestly, it wasn't like me thinking, well, I have God, so that brings me so much comfort. I'm so glad I don't have him. Actually, I would love to say that is true, but it actually wasn't. When Bryant, when we found out that Bryant's cancer came back, and this was in like December 2012, my faith completely shattered then. I was like, what? No, like, we're going to beat this. Like, you just pray. People are praying. Like, God's supposed to do miracles. Like, what the heck? Everything broke. And I think that that's when I started thinking, and I let myself start thinking, maybe this God isn't really for me. Maybe he doesn't really exist. Like, maybe he doesn't really care. And so, like, I didn't verbally say it, but I could feel myself actually distancing myself from this God, from this faith, from this everything. And I still prayed, but I was pretty doubtful. I thought, well, if there is a God, he probably has the characteristics of an average human being. I mean, he's probably not powerful. He's probably not miraculous. If he's not healing my brother, then what good is he? He's just some dude up in the sky or whatever. And I think that living like that for months, maybe I didn't touch my Bible, didn't really sing, just felt really, really disconnected, like a very dark period. Um, I realized, well, there's a certain point where I thought, well, this is actually more depressing. Like, I could have my wrestling and whatever with God, and that's painful, but then nothing is even worse. And I thought, as Brian, you know, started nearing death, and as we found out his cancer was terminal, I thought, well, what then happens after you die? Do you become a blip? Does your, do you just cease to exist? Is it just you live on this earth, and then your body goes into the ground, and there's nothing afterwards? There's no hope of being with anyone you love? Like, that, to me, is so painful, and I just couldn't stomach that. I couldn't stomach that the end of Bryant meant the end of everything, and that I would never see him again, that he wouldn't know complete love. Like, I just, I couldn't. I love my brother so much. Like, I I just couldn't think about that. And so, for me, it didn't feel meaningful, and it didn't feel like there was any hope in that, at least for me. And so, in the end, I realized, well, I can't leave this God. I want to, 
but I can't. It was this very weird interplay, and I realized that the two things I have feared the most since probably I was maybe three years old was one, the subject of death, and people dying around me, and two, abandonment. Now, I might be the only person in this room that has feared death and abandonment, or I may not. <laughs> I'm just telling the truth for myself. I don't think you're alone. <laughs> <in that. laughs> but I think, yeah, I realize that in the end, these two things that I'm so afraid of are the only two things that actually God can actually meet in the end. Like, death is really scary, but if we know that in him our life is eternal, then it's, I'm here one minute, and then my body's still here, but then I have a new body. And I'm in the presence of Jesus, who knows complete love. And he says he's with us now, and he's never going to leave us, and I don't think he'll be annihilated in any futuristic setting. So then there's the forever, and we're never abandoned. And I think that when I realize those two things, I'm like, okay, well, that's probably better than the nothingness Mm. that I'm choosing into. And I think that's what Bryant had. He knew where he was going. He knew God wouldn't abandon him because he told me, and he even wrote about it on his caring bridge. So I think that's why he could face death head on. And I think for me, it's kind of like, well, if you look at fail, faith, or faith from a scale from 1 to 100%, to be honest, I feel like I'm at the 1%. I don't feel like I'm a 50% or 99.9. Like, I'm like, I feel like I have 1% of faith right now. Mm. And this is really hard for a person who, like, was really good at ministry. I worked for a church for four years. <laughs> I did InterVarsity Christian Fellowship for four years. I was really good at reading the Bible and extrapolating scripture and, like, praying for people and all these different things that I thought I could do You were very Jesus-y. Very, very Jesus-y. Yeah, yeah. And for me to say that I have 1% is kind of humbling for me, but I feel like that's actually accurate. But I'd rather choose this 1% of maybe God is real, Maybe there really is a Jesus who came to save us from our sins and that we will have eternal life mm. than choose the zero percent of nothingness. Mm. So I have, I'd rather have my one percent than believe God doesn't exist at all. Yeah. So I think that's the first part to answer that part. Yeah. And then the second part that I want to share about is you have also mentioned that people will say, well, even though you're suffering, God is with you, so it's going to be okay. And yes, that is slightly comforting, but I think that this is the greatest point of wrestling for me, and maybe wrestling for you, for those of you that knew my brother and loved him. For me, I'm like, well, if it's true that God is really with us, and he's actually a deity, and he's actually sovereign, then couldn't God do something about Brian's cancer? Like, if he did miracles, if he raised not just Lazarus, but Jesus from the dead, why not Bryant? Why did Bryant fall into some exception bucket that wasn't part of, like, God's greater plan of healing? And so I, I think that's why I'm still wrestling with that. It's like, kind of the, why could a good God allow something horrible to happen? And I'll probably take this question with me until the grave, most likely, and until I see Jesus face to face. But then it's interesting, because it caused, like, another crisis in me. And I'm like, oh, no, did I completely miss the gospel? And what I mean by that is, like, I came to faith when I was really little. My mom says that I prayed the prayer, but I also remember being in Sunday school, and people said, hey, um, if you don't want to go to hell, 
and you want to be in heaven, raise your hand. I'm like, oh, me, 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 me. I don't want to go to hell. That sounds really scary. And that's kind of my intro to faith experience, not judging any Sunday school programs or people who are heavily involved in them. That was just my experience as a three-year-old. And so I grew up, you know, thinking different things about God, like maybe I just need to pray more, and maybe I just need to put myself in deep fasting and meditation, and that will allow me to have some Jesus channel or whatever. And I think I completely missed the gospel, because as I wrestle with this question, like why wouldn't God do something about such an evil, Hmm. I thought, man, okay, if God is real, and he actually sent his son in divinity to earth, and he was perfect. Like, I'm completely imperfect. You can ask my husband, you can ask my parents. (laughs) They know I'm a pretty imperfect person. But Jesus was completely imperfect, but, uh, sorry, perfect, (laughs) and he suffered this atrocity. He died on the cross, which is super shameful, and he didn't deserve it, but he did. And I think to myself, well, then why am I so mad? Mm. Do I think I'm above Jesus? Do I think that I should be exempt from all the suffering that I have faced from Bryant's death? Because if Jesus couldn't even escape it because that was part of the greater plan so that we could be with God forever, that our sins could be absolved, then why do I think that I get special privilege? Mm. And I think that really hit me. And I thought, oh, so all my mantras of, well, Jesus came to save me. Jesus is all about me. is probably not that relevant. And I think that this suffering and this great pain and being in this really dark place kind of exposed what I thought all along, that somehow I can control Jesus. Hmm. I can control God, even though I would never admit it to anybody but I would think, well, if I spend one hour in my prayer closet and, you know, send up a couple Hail Marys or, like, confess all my sins or, like, do three hours of meditation, then surely God will listen to my request and I can bend his will to my favor. But I realized that praying a bunch, reading the Bible, singing songs is not a bad thing, mind you. But I can't manipulate God. Doing those things doesn't make me a good Christian. And that, at the end of the day, I'm not above Jesus. And I can't will God into my own submission. I, I absolutely love that. The, the, I, feel, I feel so connected with, I mean, you started with the statement, you know, have I missed the gospel? And in many ways, this entire experience, you're discovering Jesus for the very first time. And you're also having to rediscover what is this, the message that is being told by Jesus through all this. And I love how you very courageously and very humbly are saying, am I in the place of God? Am I in the place of Jesus? I mean, what, what makes me exempt from that? So I, that's one of my favorite things that you mentioned. Okay, so last question. This, is, this will be our final word. We're, we're in this series entitled Rest. And so it's based upon this passage, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. I can imagine weary and burdened is, they're, they're probably not too bad words to use in the midst of all of this. And I will give you rest. So you have our f- friends and family here in the midst of this, resonating most likely with uh, the story and with what you have to share. What would you say to all of them about weariness, burden, rest coming from Jesus in the midst of all of this? 
So when I saw this question, I sat on the couch and I was like, oh no, I have absolutely nothing profound to say. Because this is the thing that I also wrestle with. Like, how do you find rest? Like, I know the Psalm 23, which a lot of people know, it's like, oh, well, God leads me beside green pastures and still waters. And like, okay, does that mean I need to take a vacation that puts me in green areas and I just drink like tropical fruit drinks and feel like really rested? You know, maybe that's restful. Uh, but it could be a part of it. It could be a part yes. of it. But I, it's like, what is genuine and true rest? And so I sat on the couch and I was like, okay, you know, who I really wish was here to answer this would be my brother himself. Mm. Because I feel like Bryant, nearing towards the end of his death, as his body started failing him, actually started to achieve a sense of peace and rest nearing his death, which you wouldn't think for a person who is on their way to die, who's never experienced it before. And so I thought, all right, Bryant, if you were here instead of me, what would you say? And this is what I came up with. I thought Bryant would say to everyone here, he would say, Jesus is rest. That doesn't mean excessively drown yourself in worship music or reading the Bible or other activities to try and make yourself more spiritual. Those aren't bad things, but it means that maybe acknowledging Jesus is who he is, even if it's that 1% like I shared, actually might bring about some peace. Like I saw my brother really wrestle He went through his ups and downs, like, in his own faith journey. He wasn't like, wow, I believe God is amazing, and he's going to take me home. Like, he had some really, really dark days that I sat and wrestled um, with him through. And I feel like, on the topic of rest, for everyone who's, like, burdened or weary, I think he would probably say, like, take a step back and look at the bigger picture. And what I mean by that is, from a dying person's perspective, and I've talked about this with my brother, he would tell me, Melissa, Jesus is actually the only hope I have left. Mm. And for him, that was huge. And I think it made me start to think about life differently because here you have a 27-year-old and you see his dream starting to die. He never got a chance to get married. He never got a chance to have his PT job like he wanted. He never bought a house. He even had to say goodbye to things he loved, like watching movies, playing basketball with his friends, eating ice cream, drinking his Mexican Coke, things that he really loved. And then the hardest part was saying goodbye to his best friends and his family. He couldn't take any of that with him. And he told me, like, Melissa, Christ is my only hope. And I'm like, well, what, what good is that? And now I'm starting to step back and realize, like, have we got it all wrong? It's not that our burdens are not important. I actually think they are, and I really think that God wants to hear them and like have us get angry or have us question or have us just be like I'm tired but I think what Bryant would say is that maybe we have it all like in reverse like if we think about well my job's not working out or this relationship is like not working out the way I want it to or my health is failing me then you're putting all the attention on that thing but in the end if you're in Bryant's position that's going to go too and that's not the thing that you can actually control in the end anyways and so I feel like exploring what it means to have Christ as your hope, like what does that actually mean for you, something that can actually last, will actually bring about rest, where I say Jesus is rest, because then the perspective shifts. If you know that you have the thing that will bring you the most about, like, of life, then if you peer through it through that lens, then doesn't everything start to look different? Mm. And so I think that's what he would have to say about that. Amazing. 
Uh, Dave and the band's going to come up. We're, um, we're going to sing a song um, entitled 10,000 Reasons, um, which is very apropos, and it's, um, it was really, it's actually a song that I can't sing anymore in the same way, because it, the last verse, and when, when you get to verse 3, you'll, you'll understand why. Um, they're going to just play in the background a little bit, and Mel's going to read her entry that she wrote for Caring Bridge entitled Faith to be Found, which is the title for this uh, installment of this uh, teaching right here. So we'll close with this, and then after Mel is done reading, we're just going to go right into singing together um, and to share that moment and to honor her and Bryant and the family uh, in, in the singing of that song together. So here's Mel's entry. So if you guys are visual, there will be a couple um, of pictures on the screen, but I actually want to invite you to close your eyes and listen if that is a way that will help you to be not distracted. Um, just to take in senses a different way, you can feel free to do whatever you like. Um, so this is my entry called A Faith to be Found. We did a photo shoot as a family right after we found out Bryant was terminal. Our photographer had us exchange one word um, to Bryant as he gave one back to each of us. I gave Bryant friendship, and he gave me faith. In one of our conversations this summer, I asked Bryant what would happen to me after he left. He told me that I would find faith again. I wish I could say that my faith is burgeoning and as strong as ever, yet tears stream down my face as I write this entry. Not only do I feel the loss of my friend and brother, but I mourn the departure of my faith. I know that not everyone who reads these entries considers themselves as religious or a spiritual person. So if I may, I'd like to describe what cancer and Brian's death has meant for me in terms of my faith. I have alluded to such in previous entries, but I want to be even more direct and overt in this one. I grew up in a Christian home. I went to church all my life. In college, I spent more time participating in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship than studying managerial economics. I worked in ministry as a vocation for four years at a large Bay Area church. I loved teaching others about Jesus from what I saw in scripture. I loved singing on the worship team. I eventually built up the courage to start leading others in worship through song and guitar at my young adult fellowship. I organized retreats and reveled in creating peaceful spaces that could allow others to connect with God. I had a strong sense of the spiritual realm I didn't see angels or demons, yet I could feel things in the spiritual realm. I could sense deep darkness and also the lightness and peacefulness of God's tangible presence. I had deep compassion for others' struggles. I wanted them to know the God I knew, the God that met me in my closet, the God that heard my cries and did something about them. I felt confident in my intimate relationship with God. I believed he could protect me from disaster or harm. I had seen him rescue me from less than optimal situations, job, relationship, roommates. At just the time when my world caved in, God would provide a way out of the muck. It happened in ways that weren't coincidental. Thus, I knew it had to be the hand of God turning something awful into a better opportunity. I'd tell myself, well, I got laid off. Well, God must have a better job in store for me. Oh, well, blank doesn't want to be with me. It's okay. God has a better guy instead. I attributed the bad and painful stuff happening in my life as God allowing it to happen so that I could learn some lesson. Ultimately, God must have had some ideal for me in mind, thus indicating the reason I experienced loss. 
Even after the 12 weeks when Brian finished his initial BEP chemo treatment, I still had an unwavering faith in God. You see, right before Brian had been diagnosed with cancer, I believed God had spoken to me. The week before we met Dr. Dormady, I announced to my family, Brian has cancer, but this won't end in death. Keep in mind, this is before we had any results indicating Brian's back pain meant advanced cancer. Sometimes God would just tell me things before they happened on a few rare occasions. Other times when praying for people, I'd sometimes know things about them that I had no way of knowing. These came as impressions upon my heart or direct knowledge from God. I can't even explain to you how it works exactly. So when we found out Brian had cancer, I had an enormous shock. But I also felt God had told me it would be so. During Brian's rounds of BEP chemo, I just believed that what God told me would be true. Therefore, when Dr. Dormady told us at the end of BEP treatment that the scans looked good and it appeared that we might have beaten back the cancer, I rejoiced. I announced in the waiting room to Brian and my dad, See, I was right! God healed Brian of cancer! So my faith began eroding the day we found out Brian's cancer had returned with a vengeance. December 2012, I will never forget, Brian's cancer came back. I got married early. I stopped hearing from God the way I used to hear him. I gingerly touched my Bible and I couldn't read it much anymore. The year and a half that followed, it seemed as if the pools of spiritual water that had sustained me became a drought. The relationship I once had with God felt different. The God I thought I knew became a stranger. Ultimately, all my notions about God and postulations about how he worked also got trashed. Brian's pending death made me think long and hard about the Christian faith I had given myself to over all these years. It also made me wonder, how had I subscribed to certain statements about God that aren't even really biblically founded? They just sound really good, and maybe man's attempt to bring comfort to the unexplainable. Brian's death has unhinged the last parts of my former faith. I started reading this book, Surprised by Hope, by N.T. Wright, the last few weeks of Brian's life. I'm still reading it. In pondering his thoughts on what is heaven and the afterlife, I've come to realize how little it meant to me previously. Also, how heaven just meant this internal destination that we go to if we believed in Jesus. While well, I'm just discovering how little I actually knew, and how even seemingly simple concepts such as heaven are quite complex. Honestly, I'm beginning to wonder if my former values of my Christian faith were even substantial or sustainable enough through difficulty. Now I'm beginning to adhere to a different theology than previously. I don't believe that God is behind the bad stuff just to teach me a lesson. I don't believe that horrible circumstances occur so that God can bring about a better opportunity. I refuse to believe that God let cancer happen just so that greater things could happen because of it. Sure, that may be the result, but I don't think God decided to end a 27-year-old's life tragically so that glory could happen. I don't believe that Jesus came to earth just to change my unfortunate life circumstances anymore. My life, yes. I don't believe that everything happens for a reason or God has a purpose for everything. Both of those phrases implying there is some sort of God karma of checks and balances. I do not believe that the bad things are just bad. God hates them too. I don't get why he lets them happen, but I probably never will. Maybe I'm still in denial that we live in a broken and sinful world, a world that isn't what God intended. I'm waiting to see how God will use the bad things he hates and extract good from it. 
Maybe I got it all wrong before in how I believe God inflicted the bad and good for teaching purposes. Almost like he sat as a judge and doled out punishment for my sins and rewards for being good. As a side note, Tim Keller's sermon, A Christian's Happiness, affirmed my thought process and radically changed my outlook on the Christian faith. You can read it online for free, or hear it online. Thus, I now consider myself a sojourner. I have not abandoned God by any means, but I have a deep, newfound curiosity for what is really the truth. Who is God? Why is being a Christian the best thing ever? Among many other questions I am now pondering, it's an uncomfortable place because it feels like part of my identity is also missing now. Not just the part that links me to an active relationship with Bryant, but also my former bond with God. I can't just believe in Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit anymore because it just feels good. But now relationship with God must be relevant to my present suffering. I can't just know God with rational thought. I must experience God with my heart, soul, and mind and strength in order for me to really claim the Christian faith as my own. Perhaps this is a journey we all must travel, one that begins at the onset of true loss and profound suffering. I hope I continue to find others who are also wanderers in search of the truth along this path. Melissa, Dan, and then Harry and Anna, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Uh, Mel, thank you for your courage and bravery in sharing. Um, we are so, so grateful to you um, for giving us this gift. So bless you. Let's thank you. Good job.